Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 39, titled Getting on Track with Heroic Racing Apparel. In this episode, I chat with Todd McNabney, the owner and lead designer at Heroic Racing Apparel, and his motorcycle racing buddy, Chris Onweiler, who in addition to being an accomplished racer, track day coach, and rider, is also a customer and huge advocate of Heroic's motorcycle racing gear. I met Todd at the International Motorcycle Show in New York City last December when I bought a pair of his Heroic SPR Pro racing gloves as the first item in my new kit of gear for doing track days this season. I was very impressed with Heroic's products, the message behind their products, and their loyal customer base, and thought it would be cool to bring you the story behind Heroic Racing and how the company got started. And for those listeners only interested in riding on the street, in addition to their products for the racetrack, Heroic applies the same ingenuity and care that they put into protecting riders on the track into their line of motorcycle gear for street riders, such as their street gloves and Kevlar hoodie. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, March 4th, 2020, and is being published on Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member G4, Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patilla and Jerry Vavaro, and V-Twin Club members Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios LLC, and Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School. Gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for your support. If you would like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content, please stay tuned to the end of this episode or check out the podcast supporters link on my website. So I've got two very special guests tonight. We have uh, Todd McNabney, who is the owner and designer at Heroic Racing Apparel. And joining us is Chris Onweiler, who is a motorcycle racer, track day coach, a writer, and chief salesman for Heroic, as well as, according to Todd, his crash test dummy. So welcome, <laughs> gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, so Chris, you know, we, we just were chatting a little briefly before we started recording, um, and you were asking me, hey, what's this whole thing about? What, what, what are we talking about tonight? So the, the way this came about, uh, long story short, and my listeners kind of know this about me, but I started riding motorcycles just a few years ago, back in 2016. You could probably say it was a midlife crisis, but it wasn't that kind of thing. It was just something I always had wanted to do. My girlfriend had ridden when she was in her late teens and wanted to try it again. So I got her, you know, I paid for her to do the Motorcycle Safety Foundation basic rider course. I was like, if she's doing it, I might as well do it. I loved it. 
you know, I, I threw a leg over the bike before I even started the bike. I was like, okay, this is good. I'm hooked. I'm going to be doing this thing. Um, and I've just fallen in love with the sport. Um, I was a huge auto racing fan since I started riding. I've just, not, not that I don't like auto racing, but my attention has switched totally to motorcycle racing. That's what I follow now. And I started the podcast about a year ago uh, just as a way something I could do to just help promote the sport and get more people involved. So I've got a broad range of listeners, you know, people who've never ridden a motorcycle before, you know, to people who've been riding for years and years and years and years. So it's a, it's a pretty broad audience. And one of the things I like to do is try to promote motorcycle racing. Uh, I'm a big Moto America fan, so that's one of the things that I promote try to help promote i've had like kyle wyman on i've had uh carruthers and vice right the motor america does their podcast um and then actually gina and i my girlfriend and i are going to be at daytona the daytona 200 upcoming uh you know two weekends so uh all right so that that's kind of that's kind of my my background and so the way this came about was i was at the international international motorcycle show in new york back in december i came across the heroic booth um i i'm pretty sure i had heard the name before I wasn't really familiar with the products, and let me segue a little bit. So, like I said, I started riding in 2016. One of the things I want to do this year is I want to start riding on the track. You know, I want to start getting a little experience on the track, building some more skills, you know, in a safer environment. So I'm like, okay, let me start gearing up for it. So I wanted to get a better helmet. You know, I was I have still, I still use on the street, like these built helmets I got at Cycle Gear, which serve the purpose, but they're not snow rated and they're not going to pass muster, right, for, for track days or anything like that. Wanted to get good gloves, boots, the whole deal. And we're just walking, you know, down down the road at the, the motorcycle show, and I, I saw the gloves, you know, heroic gloves hanging up on the, the display. I don't know, Todd, whatever you did with your display setup, it would work great because we're just walking, and I was <laughs> just like, Yank my girlfriend's hand. I'm like, hold on a second. I have to go look at this stuff. Uh, so we, we checked it out. And, and actually, Al um, Gilbo was there. I guess he was helping you with, with sales and stuff like yep. that. It was really good because he spent quite a bit of time with me going over the features of the glove. You know, it's the, actually, I've got them here. And you guys know what they look like. And, and the, the listeners can't see this, but the SPR pros. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, so Al you know, help, help me pick out a pair of gloves, help me get the right size, tell me about the features and the whole thing. And then in the course of that, you know, I saw up on the sign, you know, Heroic Racing Apparel, New Hyde Park. I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, I didn't realize, you know, because I'm in Levittown. You know, I grew up on Long Island, like we were talking about, Todd. Um, so I, I had no idea you were so close by. So anyway, so that, that was really kind of cool. And so, you know, Al and I were talking a little bit. I definitely got the idea. He's been racing for a long time. He was telling me a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you guys have done up in New Hampshire, I guess up at the racetrack there and whatnot. So anyway, one thing led to another, and so it's been on my mind for some time to have Todd on, one, just to talk about Heroic and you know his products and things. And then uh, I was going to have Al. Unfortunately, Al couldn't join because he's getting ready for the Daytona 200. I guess they're uh, packing up. And so he had suggested that his son Alex join which we had set up, but then Alex texted me earlier saying, sorry, man, it's like I'm too busy packing or whatever. So I'm like, fine, yeah, it's not a problem. We'll do it some other time. And Chris Todd had suggested you. So, and, and being you're the crash dummy and, you know, like kind of the top salesman for Heroic, I thought it'd be awesome just to, to talk to both you guys. Well, hey, it's Thank great. You. Hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so that, that's kind of my spiel. Um, so I guess maybe I got a ton of questions for you guys. You know, we'll we'll go as long as as you're willing to talk. But how how did you guys hook up? How how did you guys meet? But me and Chris. Yeah. 
Well, I I had known uh, I, I was involved with STT for a number of years, and uh, Chris is involved with STT, and and I had seen him out there uh, because he owned uh, he had a a really successful company called Track Day Mag, and uh, him and one of his buddies, which was a good buddy of mine, uh, he, he was just like you know K K three. And that's what they call Chris. I'll, I'll let him talk about that a little more. But uh, and uh, and then I saw his articles over the years. But on top of that, you know, a lot of people love this guy. And so uh, there's there's a lot of people that follow him. And and you know, myself as well. I, I really try to put I I really try to put energy and heart into the brand. Mm-hmm. And and everything we do, I I like every suit that we make. I put a soul into it. Is what I say. Yeah. And uh and that's what I noticed about this character is that uh you know it's funny is we I I've heard the name Chris Onweiler for a number of years uh and this goes back to uh hell probably 04 05 or something like that when I was doing STT and uh and then um and then I I saw that this guy came up to me it was a quiet time uh while their what guys were out out on track at Road to America and this guy walks up to me and he says, uh, "Hey, Chris Onweiler, tell me all about your stuff." And so that's a that's and then we I think we spent probably the next four hours together. Chris, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it is kind of funny, you know. Uh, Todd has uh, he has a, a motto, you know, for his company, you know, which is "Be Heroic," mm-hmm. and. I guess the reason Todd and I get along so well, uh, I think, is because we we sort of have our minds in the same place. Uh, I mean, you know, be heroic. It, on one hand, that sounds kind of macho, but I think when you get to know Todd, you sort of understand that it's kind of like like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. And Todd just, you know, he's someone he treats everyone well. He genuinely cares about people, cares about this sport, cares about keeping people from getting hurt. And yeah, I've been coaching for 20 years, and, and the reason I do it is because I want to help people ride well. I want to help people enjoy the sport. I want them to feel the same amount of passion for it that I do. And, you know, the, the quickest way to drive people out of this sport is to let them flounder. So if you, right. can, if you can help them and, and – you know, help them find it that, that and you know when they find it because there's just that moment and suddenly they light up yep right. and, and you know the hook is in you know they're never leaving but i don't know i guess i do it because i care about the other riders and i care about the sport and i feel like riding motorcycles around a racetrack is the most awesome thing you can possibly do and todd has that same energy so he and i i don't know we're just two of the same guys and we get along really well And and that's what's cool about Al Gilbo. You know, what's funny is I don't think Chris has ever met him, but it was kind of an interesting synergy of all three of these guys because, or at least Chris and Al, because what's funny is they're like long lost brothers and they just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. (laughs) What has that go? Brothers from different mothers or different mothers. And that's what, you, you know, there's a, I always, you know, I was telling you earlier that when I first started doing this, I was working for a huge luxury, I mean, the most revered luxury brand in the world. And I was managing all their, all 29 luxury brands. And so 
I, I, I've always been interested in fashion ever since I was a kid. I, I've always uh, liked well-dressed people and whatnot. But the biggest thing is, you know, like when I was working for Louis Vuitton, man, you know, uh, they had all of these, you know, really transformed. At the time, I had a parts and accessories company on the side in uh, Mineola. And uh, we actually, uh, the president of Fendi North America, I was having breakfast with them. And uh, they were they were uh, downsizing their 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 store on Fifth A- on Fifth Avenue, and uh, he said, you know, we're getting ready to to rip out all the interior, and I said, can I have it? And so we made we made twelve trips and took all the interior out of Fifth Fendi Fifth Avenue, and so my parts and accessory shop was actually. It, it looked like a strip club, man. I mean, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was funny, man. But uh, you know, so 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 from the very even before I started heroic, I wanted to create an epic, legendary name that aspires people to greatness, to be better than than. And really, it's the the brand. That whole reasoning was therapy for me. Just to be right. honest with you, right? right. So, I, I mean, the the name is great. I mean, like I said, I, you know, I'm just an an example, but. You know, I'm just walking down a row of booths and between the logo, the display, the name, I mean, it got my attention, you know, so it was like, yeah, it it communicates somehow, you know, without, without even, without even knowing very much about the brand and the products and not having met you, it, it just, you know, quote unquote, spoke to me kind of thing. You know, the biggest blessing with the brand heroic is that I get this from ladies that walk up to me at the pro races they all walk up to me and say, can you explain something? And I was like, what, what ex- exactly is that? And there was like, why is it that every one of your guys that wears your suits are just outstanding people? <laughs> and I replied that that's my business plan. Right, but, you know, if you dissect that even deeper, even now, you know, our biggest, probably one of our biggest products right now is our Kevlar armored hoodies. And what's funny is I put a large heroic on the back. And what's funny is, I get a lot of guys that say, man, I would never wear that hoodie because it says heroic on it. Well, you know what's funny? You have, you, you know, you can't be an asshole and wear heroic. That's, that's, uh, that's, okay. cool, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's really an aspirational brand. It's, it's a brand that, uh, it's a brand that really, really, you know, you have to stand up or you have to live up to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, he's not, he's really not kidding. I mean, I know that sounds. I'm, yeah, I'm not joking. Yeah, I know that sounds like kind of out there, but it just, I think it's basically because of Todd himself. He just attracts a certain kind of person and a certain kind of rider. And, you know, Todd's stuff is not inexpensive, but you get what you pay for. And I don't know, you think about this, a guy with a lot of money and he's a snob, he's going to gravitate towards a certain kind of leathers and, you know, Heroic's not going to be that because it doesn't have that brand appeal. Right. You no. Know? And th- then you get another guy and, and, you know, I don't know. He's going to be like, well, you know, I mean, really, I'm not going to spend a lot of money on leathers and I'll be just fine. You get a lot of people. Some people think, well, I'm not going to get hurt anyway because I'm just too good to fall off. You know, I don't know. I guess I, I guess the people who get attracted to Todd's brand, I, I mean, they're realists. Most of them, most people don't buy a heroic as their first suit. They've been around a while, mm-hmm. and you know they've learned what they want. They've learned what they need, and 
you know, I think a lot of people who buy heroic suits buy them as much because of Todd as because of the product he creates. I mean, you get into this guy's suit and it's like he's giving you a hug, man. It's like, if you're not going to get hurt, <laughs> I'll see you there. Right. You know, and, and that's to, to me, you know, one of the cool things or advantages of, of a smaller company, you know, and I, I don't know if you'd like me describing your company that way. Right. But I I mean, you know, you're, I mean, you know, we were talking before, right. I mean, basically you, you kind of are heroic. You obviously have a lot of people supporting and backing you. Right. But you don't have like, you know, a huge staff of people and whatever your wife helps out. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bon Armor, right? They do you know, stuff for street riding and stuff and similar kind of thing. And, you know, I had them on the show a bunch of episodes ago. Just just really cool people, you know. And again, it's funny because I found their product in like a similar way. You know, I flipping through motorcycle magazines and the little banner ad just stuck with me. You know, that was even... Sure you know, way before I got real serious about riding motorcycles. And then one day I'm like, you know, I remember this Bond Armor stuff and I kind of, this problem I'm trying to solve. So I bought some, tried it out. It it was a great product. It worked great. Contacted the people. They were friendly, helpful. They obviously, you know, sure, they're in business, fine. You know, hey, you know, who's not, right? But you could tell they cared about the consumer. They cared about the product. And and, and so I, that, it means something to me, I guess, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. To, to Chris's point, I think that, that that that's a really cool thing, and you know, you know, I, yeah, I know all the big brand names. What you know, it's Alpen Stars and Dionese and all those, and that's fine. And I guess they've they've got good products and whatever, but it's not, it's not the same. I don't know connection, right? You're not connected to the owner. It's not the same level of care. It's not the same customization, all that kind of stuff. Well, you, you know, that's something that's important for me too, and you know. You know, Al, you know, the, the guy that you were going to have on the show uh, tonight as well, Al Gilbo, is very similar to Chris in the fact that, but, but I, you know, I never talked to these guys about it, but we're one of the few brands that don't go out there and beat up other brand names. And that's mm-hmm. easy to do. I think that's politics and whatnot. Yeah. But the biggest thing for me and the coolest thing is, you know, I was chatting with uh, the lady that is the main uh, importer for RS Tai Chi today. And we, you know, we sent back emails, uh, you know, you know, in banter four or five times, you know, you know, talking about stocking and talking about repairs and talking about, you know, getting, you know, me getting uh, uh, a stock for her to be able to repair her customer suits here. And so, you know, the biggest thing is I get a lot of customers where people try to try to try to set you up. They 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 want you to uh, say something bad. Mm. And I never do. I, you know, I, I always. I grew up in a I grew up in a family where where you know where people and your word is very important and the way that you it, the way that you put it out is important and that to never badmouth another brand and so what I, what I always try to do and I'm not trying to be smug or anything but what I try to do is when somebody comes up to me and they they say hey look at the fit of my of my suit now I know it's not a heroic suit but and they want me to say something bad. I never do, man. I, I always say, man, I love that color or man, you look great or it is a yeah. good fit. And you know what? It goes a long way. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, me being a small company, but even if I was a large company, I think that that's something that, uh, you know, we need to, whether it's politics or whether it's uh, uh, any corporation, I, I, I think from top down, you, you really need to, to put a, even at this size on up is that you need to, to uh, carry, carry your brand and carry uh, 
everything ethically. And that's what I try to do. I mean, that's, it goes back to, to being heroic, you know what I mean? Right. Sure. I mean, to me, that's just a level of professionalism, you know, professionalism. it's just like, right. It's like how, how you communicate, how you carry yourself, how you represent yourself. It makes a big difference. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that, that's cool. Um, now you had mentioned earlier STT. What, what is that? I'm not familiar. That would be sport bike track time. Uh, it's arguably the largest uh, track the organization in the country right now. Okay. They've also one of the oldest. Uh, I've been with them 20 years, and they existed before I joined them by about five years. So. Oh, wow. Cool. Where uh, where does STC operate? I mean, is it pretty much around the country? or? Oh, they have a big presence in the Midwest, and they have a big presence in the southern United States. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just listening to an interview. A friend of mine does a podcast called JL Unlimited. Uh, he's actually a club racer and uh, does track days and stuff. I think he coaches as well. But um, CJ Cohen from uh, Legacy Track Days, I guess. I, I guess they operate out of Florida. Like they're, they're southeast, something like that. But yeah, it sounded interesting. Um, so, so Chris, so, so Todd was saying kind of the way you guys met was at the track and you had just walked up to Todd and you're like, hey, you know, tell me about Heroic. Were you, were you doing a story at the time or? I was. Now, Todd had mentioned my trackdaymag.com and he said, oh, it was so successful. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. Uh, creatively, it was awesome. People really loved it. Uh, but I'm more of a creator than I am a businessman, and I never really managed to make it make any money. And I finally reached a point where I just couldn't keep putting that much energy into it. And so after about eight or nine years, I finally folded it. Hmm. Gotcha. Is the, uh, is the content still out there? Like, do you, do you keep the stuff online? Well, eventually I dropped the site because you got to pay for that. It yeah, no, I hear you. Forever. I hear you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just so. curious because some it's interesting. Sometimes people uh, just kind of keep stuff, you know, online. Like you know, they whatever. It's a magazine. It's a something, and they're just not doing it actively, but they just kind of leave it out there. And you can you know you can do a Google search and find it. So I was just curious. Well, something that is still out there. Uh, I actually wrote a novel about motorcycle road racing. Oh, cool. What's the, what's the title? That it's called High Side, and uh, it is available on Kindle. Oh, nice. I got to get that too. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I have to check you that out. That, Todd? No, I need to. Oh, <laughs> you just well, told me about that the the last time in Chicago, and I was like, man, I need to download that. Yeah, there were only ever about five thousand copies printed, but now that it's on Kindle, it's kind of found a second life. Okay. And that that's a novel you said? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, definitely have to check it out. Um, what what else have you written, Chris? Uh, well, it was that, and then all the articles I was writing for trackdaymag.com, and then uh, prior to that, I had been writing for a Chicagoland Motorsports newspaper, which was actually called Chicagoland Motorsports News. Uh, uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll, have to, I'll take a look for that stuff. And actually, you know, in the, you know, whenever I do a podcast episode, there's always some show notes and stuff, so I'll put links to, uh, to your book and whatnot so people can find it. That's pretty cool. Cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
So Todd, so we, we've touched a little bit on the products you have. Um, maybe you can kind of go over because I know, you know, obviously, and, and maybe it was kind of the first thing was, you know, products for racers and, you know, track day enthusiasts. But, you know, you mentioned you've got stuff for street riding, like the hoodie and stuff. So maybe you can kind of just give the, the rundown of the, the different products on your catalog. Well, you know, I I, I think it, it all goes to how it started. You know, I, I was uh, I was doing um, you know, I was never a, a great uh, coach or anything, but you know, I, there there's a lot. You know, I always got the guys. You know, we always worked in the beginner and intermediate, and I always got the guys that were uh, there's. You know, the guy this guy would come up and put his hand on his head and is like, I can't work with this guy. And so that's the person that I would gravitate to. I love those guys. I think they're great <laughs> because, you know, when it comes down to this sport is it's, it, it's more psychological than it is ability. And oftentimes, you know, I always, I've had this chat with, with uh, Chris before is that when you go and do a track day or you go and do a track school, they want to teach you geometry on the first day. Mm. And oftentimes what people are trying to do is get is get around them, themselves. And so oftentimes what I just do is talk with people about how to breathe. And I, I stutter and uh, my functioning every day is to get around myself and uh, being able to relax and being able to be comfortable. And that's where the safety begins. And that's how I got started in this. And with that being said, you know, I was doing – tons of, we were doing tons of track track days and i was never comfortable and so uh you know at the time i was wearing this if you you know it wasn't that long ago suits were, were straight up and down mm-hmm. and you know they had a slight turn in the arm but nothing as aggressive as what we have today and so uh i was out i had broken my legs doing stupid things and i had these screws right where the ankle of your boots at and so I was doing this track day over at Pocono East, and I ended up wrecking. And so what happened was I I, I wrecked, and our uh, I think it was Dave from Chicken Hawk. He said uh, he said you know you need to sit down and think about what you did before I let you back on the track. And so I sat there and I thought about what I was what I did, and I was just like all I could think about was I was not comfortable because my knee to ankle was this long in my suit. And was all wadded up. And so I went back to the truck, took my suit off, took a pair of tin snips and cut my leg off up above where my screws were at. And so I was like, now what do I do? I mean, you kind of get yourself in a situation. And now what do I do? And so I, I wanted to get back on the track. So I duct taped my leg back up, stuck, stuck it in my boot got back on the track and I was the most comfortable I'd ever been on a motorcycle. And so, uh, that was a Saturday Sunday. My, my, uh, I was, I, I was like, well, now my legs feel wonderful. My arms feel a mess. Well, my sleeves were all the way down to here and you had to push them all the way up here. You guys have all been to the dance. So I was just like, well, if that first day works so well, I'm going to take the 10 snips to the wrist. And so I actually cut those wrists twice that day, and I got them right back to here. And that's where both locations is where my suit is at as a custom and off the rack. 
And so, you know, what I learned that day was that you need in order to to, you know, you got to you got to have something that fits. It allows you to function and allows you to focus. And so, you know, I've got a, I've got a few products that we that we build and sell. And the reason is, is so that I can manage those and make sure that everybody gets quality. And so, you know, I, I constantly have people who are just like, hey, man, can you make me a snowmobile suit? Hey, can you make me a car suit? Can you make, bro, this, you know, unless you have a team, it's very hard. So what I originally did was I, I was one of the first brand, custom brands that you could buy a suit that's a pro suit like the AMA pro guys were wearing. And then really quickly, we were one of the first brands that that outside of Italy that was leather printing that that started in 2011. But uh, so so that's a suit. So, you know, I make a short sleeve. I make a short uh, make make a short, short knee to ankle. And I, I sewed my legs, or my arms on forward. And I came up with something that everybody used to ridicule on the weirboards. boards is a crop is is the stretch crotch in the area of the suit so mm. that you could do a full squat and everybody used to say oh man look at those heroic suits it looks like like you're wearing a g-string <laughs> well now that's that's one of the most popular options, options. on all the suits wow. across the across <laughs> the industry yeah 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 sure can i jump in for a minute yeah yeah go uh todd it's very interesting but He's just sort of a, a quiet thinker, and he's come up with many, many. I'm just critical. He has in features <laughs> that he's done to his suits, and the next thing you know, the big brands are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh my god, I mean, in clothing, how do you patent anything? But it is he. He, he told me that the first day I met him, and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But I've known Todd a lot of years now, and I've seen it happen over and over. And I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, people don't even understand how much better racing leathers fit across the board, no matter which manufacturer you buy. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with things that Todd has come up with. Yeah. Uh, when you put on a properly engineered racing suit, uh, you can't stand there and look like Joe Cool, you know, next to the window of the concession stand. You know, because you get the thing on, and immediately, you know, you're you're the ape in the uh, evolutionary drawing. Right. You know, because yep. the suit itself bends you over, and you're dragging your knuckles, and you're squatting a little bit. But the suit yep. has been cut, not so you look cool leaning up against a wall, but so you fit right when you get on the motorcycle. The first time I met Todd... Uh, I, I he, call that making business suits and not b- bullshit suits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The first time I met Todd, he looked at me and he's like, I'll bet you're miserable in your leathers. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And he said, well, you have to understand now, I, I'm six feet tall and 250 pounds. I mean, I should have been a football player, not a motorcycle racer. But you like what you like. Yeah, sure. Uh, and the thing was, I think of them as the Italians. Yeah, leather suits come from everywhere, but I think of them as the Italians. The Italians are making suits for 12-year-old boys. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, not for American men in their 40s. Yeah. And, you know, Todd just looked at me and he walks over to the rack and he, this is something he does. He looks at you and he knows what size you are. It's bright. <laughs> Top so, to bottom. <laughs> he walks over, over to the rack, grabs the suit and says, put this on. 
and I'm sliding into it. And the first thing I realize is I don't have to fight it to get it on. And I like, get it on and I zip it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, geez. So thank God I didn't have my credit card. I would have bought it on the spot. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, as it turned out, that first day I met Todd, I became a glove customer. And his gloves, we could talk about them for hours. But I really don't think there's a better glove on the planet. And I've probably crashed more of his gloves than anyone else on the planet. So I can, <laughs> I can probably say that with uh, some level of uh, competence. Uh, but, you know, yeah, gloves and gloves and gloves. And, you know, finally, I got up the money and I bought a suit. And not only did I buy a suit, but I bought a custom suit. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he spent 30 minutes measuring me. And when I got the suit, it I mean, it fit me like a jogging suit, you know, like something you'd wear to the health club. And, uh, I mean, oh, we, perfect. But we didn't just design your suit, did we? Oh, you know, no. Uh, was, Todd and I had been talking about it for so many years that once he finally got my credit card, he just went crazy. And uh, he built me the <laughs> most beautiful He built me the most beautiful suit, but he's like, so uh, uh, what do you want to look like? And I'm like, uh, well, I'm kind of fat, so, man, maybe we get a black suit, because black is kind of... <laughs> Slimming? <laughs> like, he's like, no, no, you're not going to wear a black suit. And I'm like, well, it kind of goes with, you know, my bike's black and white. And he's like, he told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, K3, you're a brand. This is Everywhere I go, he's, I knew who you were for five years before I met you. Everybody talks about you. And I guess that's just because so many people... I've been there for that moment when the light bulb went on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's yeah. a coaching thing. You know, sure. I've, I've been coaching longer than just about any other soul in the Midwest. And, yep. you know, I, I've been there that, that Eureka moment for thousands of riders. And so I don't know, I kind of have a following because, you know, if somebody was there for a turning point in your life, that person will always be precious yeah. to you. Sure. And, fortunate enough to have been that guy for a lot of people yeah that's and, right but todd said you know you're a brand i'm like eh, no i'm not he's like yeah you are and i'm gonna make you a brand and the next thing i know he's designing a suit and he's designing a paint job for my motorcycle and i'm looking at the stuff he's coming up with and i'm like man that is so not me and he's like well, it's gonna be you and i'm like <laughs> i don't know about all this <laughs> I mean, you know, I went from, yeah, if I could get black with some white trim, and the next thing you know, man, I'm white and gray and powder blue and, you know, no, a Ross that, yellow. The next, the next cool. day, he was powder coating his ribs, not just one one set of ribs, but two sets of ribs, neon yellow. <laughs> He's like, yeah, here's the, he sent me a paint job for the bike, and I'm like, holy. Nice. <laughs> like, nice. That's the coolest bike I ever saw in my life. So yeah, yeah I, was, I was I had the bike painted long before the suit showed up. So oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. But that but that's that's a great point about you know the brand recognition and creating a brand. You know, Chris, especially for someone like yourself. So that's so so Todd. I mean, so you're bringing more. Yeah, so you've got the gear and the the equipment or whatever. But it sounds like you you know you bring some design design fashion consulting too to the table. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I really think that's you know everybody talks about what makes NASCAR successful. What and why does motorcycles always seem to drag? And and kind of ha- have cancer, you know what I mean? And I really think that people in the industry don't really realize the value of branding and the uh, and the value of a story 
and uh, and and value that each and everything that you do is a product that you're putting out. And so, uh, you, you know, what's funny is I was on the road with uh, with uh, Chris, Chris and my wife, and I said, you know, I really wish that I would have uh, had a a uh, what do you call those shipping container outside my shop. And by the time that I get back, a designer can just transform this place into someplace I really want to be magical. And, you know, that's I I just saw on Facebook today, you know, a professional brand that was asking about how their paint job should look. And this is a sponsored by a major. I I can't remember what the brand actually does, but it's one of Josh Aaron's teams. And they're and they're and they're sitting there asking about, dude. I understand getting traffic, but the other thing is seeing the value of your brand, how you want it to be perceived, and you got to hire a designer for that. You know what I mean? Uh, you got to you got to put the right jobs in the right people's hands, and that's and so the beauty of it is that each and every person that comes to me, whether you're buying a jacket, a, gl- a pair of gloves, a, a pair of gloves, a suit, or whatnot, for me, it's an opportunity to make that per- re- make that person realize. They're special. Yeah. You know, each and mm-hmm. every person is special. And what can we do? You know, there there's a whole lot of negativity in this world. And if and if for for a brief moment people realize how great they are, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. That's that's a that's a really good point. Um and, and it's amazing. You know, I, I've never done coaching, like not motorcycle coaching, anything like that. You know, I've done like back in school days, you know, tutoring, you know, helping another student or something like that. Um but but it, I so I understand a little bit of what you guys are talking about because it is interesting when when you care about a person and let them know that they're important and they're they're worth being helped and then they're they're able you know you're able to shift the viewpoint where they can understand the thing that they're struggling with and then you like you said you see that light bulb come on you know it's like yeah. oh that oh that's what it was that's all that's all i had to do was just look at it that way that that that's a cool thing to be able to do with somebody it really is and it doesn't ma- matter what whether it's 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 my shop his suit your show the right. way my truck looks whatever you know what I mean? That's a, I guess that's a, the beauty of hiring a professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And, and I mean, in your case, it's a value add, right? Someone come, yeah. you know, someone like Chris comes in and they want a suit or they're looking for a pair of gloves and there's something additional you're giving that you don't get when you go into the retail shop. Absolutely. Know? And, uh, you know, and, and I won't name the brand cause it's not that important, but I had that experience, you know, I was looking for, like I said, gear and possibly buying a, a suit for the track or whatever. And it, it, it was not, you know, like the people were helpful, but it was not that like personalized experience where you know, the guy was just trying to get me into the most expensive suit on the floor. Like it, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, I was like, I said, look, I'm, I'm starting out, you know, I'm willing to spend, but I don't want to spend more than I have to. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you look at this one here? You know, it's on sale, but it's the most expensive one we have in the store. You know, it's like, dude, that's not what I said. <laughs> yeah. Of, you know, well, so. you know, that's, that's really important. And I, I, you know, we really need to listen pe- to people more often. You know what I mean? I see that a lot because we do offer repair and alterations and there, you know, I see a major travesty in the industry as far as custom suits or, or, or suits in general are, 
related, a lot of these retailers want you to, when you go into the store, they want you to look like Rossi. Yeah. And Chris, I don't, I have no idea what your level is, but if I was to put you in an off the rack suit, you need to go back to the three principles that I always push fit, focus, and function. And so with that being said, I would first put you in something white because it keeps you cold. And then the second thing is I put you in probably a size bigger than what you require. Mm -hmm. And because if you can be comfortable, you can, you can be taught. And then I, I can put you in the hands of on Weiler and that guy can, can get your full attention. And that's where safety begins. I, I believe. Yeah. Um, I would like to say, you know, I said before that the Italians, as I think of them, uh, they make suits for 12-year-old boys. Uh, Todd uses a body model that is basically the American body model. Yeah. Yeah, Americans come in a lot of different sizes, but Todd's suits come in a lot of different sizes, too. And they're just, they're they're cut Not in a more logical fashion. They actually fit, you know, they actually fit people. And I was amazed when I got into his on-the-rack suit. It was the best fitting suit I had ever worn in my life. And I wanted it desperately, but I just couldn't afford it. Uh, You know, and then, you know, I knew Todd for years, and I kept buying gloves from him uh, because I kept destroying gloves. And, well, (laughs) but, you know, I have to say, when a 250-pound guy lands on his hands at 100 miles an hour, bad, bad, bad things can happen. Yeah. And I've just been, you know, I've been completely immune to hand injuries since I started wearing heroic gloves. And, I mean, I've had a few times where I've broken the wrist and the arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the hand was the first thing to hit the ground. And you got all those little bird bones in the glove, yeah. right? And, and yeah. Breaking the big bones further up the up the way, and you didn't land on the arm, but the arm's what broke. Right, and you're like, how come none of the bones in the hands broke? And I mean, I have just flat totaled a few sets of his gloves, but I've never lost any skin, and I've right. never broken a bone. And yeah. you know, it's it's that level of protection was what drew me to Todd. And and I, oh man, I'm not going to say the brand, but I I had a leather sponsor. And every year they gave me another set of leathers. And if I crashed in the middle of the year and I needed a set, they'd send me a second set that year. And I was huh. like, man, you know, I mean, you're buying tires, you're paying entry fees and everything else and free leathers. And, and Todd had told me several times, you know, eventually that's going to bite you. And I'm like, oh, Todd, man, they're free. And he's like, yeah, you know, free isn't always worth what you're paying. And I'm like, man, I don't know about that. And and every time I would get the suit, I'd look at it and be like, this is a little cheaper than the one I had last year. (laughs) Well, finally, I had a crash. And the the crazy thing about it was, uh, I had that was the year I didn't have to build a motorcycle in the winter. I was just going to go through and race my same motorcycle the next year. And, uh, I mean, it it was kind of cool. I mean, I, I took that bike to Daytona and I won the championship with it. And I knew there wasn't anything in the country that could keep up with it. So there was no point trying to build a better bike. So I said, okay, this year I'm going to spend my winter money on a suit from Todd. God, it's finally the year. 
So um, I sent him the money, and then I met him at the Chicago show, and he measured me. And I went, like, from the Chicago show to the airport to California to a track day in my other suit, had a crash, and tore myself to ribbons. And I called Todd, and I'm like, yeah, you better hurry on that suit, man. sending <laughs> <laughs> him pictures of all the holes in my skin, you know? And he's like, ah, oh, dude. Wow. Uh-oh. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, to Todd's point, sometimes free is more expensive than you can afford. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it definitely applies to cheap as well. Sure, sure. It's it, it's always you know what, what's the overall cost, not not what's the cost of the one item or whatever, right? You know, like well, like people talk about like opportunity cost kind of thing, right? You know, it's like I didn't make the investment because whatever, but it's like, well, what did you lose by not making the investment? You know? That's right. Well, you you know, to to it's how it's how you take care of these things, you, you know. uh I think the, the coolest thing about what we do is that uh, is that the same. I mean, obviously, this business needs to grow, but the same guy that's going to design it for you is this, the guy that's going to repair it. And something I think we need to really work with on leathers and you know any leathery product product in the industry. You know, now I've got an opinion on the expiration and dates of helmets, but the reality, and I think it's all more more centered to marketing i'm sorry people but you know you you you, you want to come up with an expiration system it really needs to be on leather because whether it's a glove or whether it's a suit before you think about you know they've got a deal where if that helmet's over i believe it's four or five years old you can't race in it you can't ride in it my man it's going to take three thousand years for that thing to break down sorry yeah but a, a, a pair of leathers if you're out there riding the way that we ride in nowadays, you know, you can get in five hours of riding on a day, maybe four hours of riding on a day, depending on how many sessions you do. Uh, that's a lot of sweating and a lot of salt you're depositing inside a suit. So one of the one of what I'm getting at is one of the services that you need to really participate in, no matter what brand of suit you wear, is to have it professionally cleaned at least once a year. And that's, you know, if you're paying a lot for your suit, if, if you're not paying hardly anything, money's money. Uh, for $125, we, we wash it and remove all the salt and then highly condition it. And, uh, you know, my money is important. Your money is important. So, right. is, so, like, so is your investment. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a, and, and, that, and that's the thing, too, that, you know, stuff comes with maintenance, right? And, 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 and maybe people don't think about I, I Honestly... Like I hadn't thought about that. It's a really good point about leathers and stuff, right? We're so accustomed to you got to maintain the car, you got to maintain the motorcycle, you got to do oil changes, you, you change tires, or whatever, whatever, right? But hey, guess what? The gear needs to be maintained too. Well, you know, what's funny is that's another travesty in the industry. Is that is that any time you talk about leather repair, people, you know, people always talk about the Chinese guy on the corner that does it for ten bucks. But oh. the whole deal is I reap. I received that stuff here after the fact and the guy just destroyed it. He wants to glue everything. He stitches all of the layers of from the saddle of the suit all the way to the exterior together. And now you got a big lump on there. Man, I tell you what, if you're, if you have no problems swiping a credit card for not 90 to a hundred, hundred dollars an hour for a Ducati shop, <laughs> my time is just as valuable. <laughs> right, right, right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, that makes sense. So 
the so so Todd, the the suits you have, the gloves and stuff, sounds like are your your design basically, yes. right? Like yep. okay, and then um, basically, so is is all of that stuff made in Pakistan? Like you have yeah, okay, and I know like that. It sounds like kind of Pakistan is where gear is made, like like leather gear for the most part, right? That is kind of the yep. place in the well, country. Like, you know, I mean, in the world. If you don't mind, do you mind if I explain how that came to be? No, no, go for it. Yeah, so uh, Pakistan in the in the in the the sixties and seventies became the leather center because of a cricket and because of of uh, America uh, because of European soccer or football, and so from the sixties, Pakistan became the epicenter for making for making Euro- European footballs, soccer balls. And, uh, and and cricket equipment, and uh, I mean they are the best in the world. And so when the '90s came around and motorcycling uh, gear, you think about it, uh, gear really started. You know, uh, as far as major uh, opportunities for people to buy a wet, well breadth of of items was in the '90s, the early '90s, and uh, and so Pakistan was the place chosen because they were already making odorless leather. And if you think about it, when you walk into a, uh, a sports store, you don't smell leather. Yeah. It's because that leather is actually is processed that way in Pakistan. And what's funny is the cousin to our, our current factory owner, he makes, uh, he makes the FIFA balls for, for, uh, for FIFA, uh, the world, the world cup. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Pakistan really gets a bad rep. And what's funny is I always compare it to this. I was just like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've been to, uh, I've been to, to, uh, Havana and, and have had the worst Cuban food. I've been to New York city and had the best. It's who, it's who, 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 who the cook is, you know what I mean? Sure. So sorry. Yeah. No, 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 that's good. Actually. Uh, cause, um, I it was about a year or two ago. I had seen, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what you just explained about Pakistan, but I had seen it in a kind of a documentary about how leather is tanned and like like made in Pakistan. I, now, I don't know that it's all done this way. Like what they were showing was a very kind of primitive system, but it was obviously very effective. So, yeah. So oh, was that the video with the bird poop or or, or the, yeah, okay? Yeah, that's like, a, yeah, that? yeah. That sounds familiar, right? Something because of whatever the, the the chemistry of how that all works. Yeah, there's there's a. I mean, there's all different levels. I mean, you know, we we import all of our our kangaroo from Australia, and we import our. You know, we use uh, stingray skin uh, mm-hmm. on the crash areas of the suit. I can I came up with the with that idea just be you know because I had this guy that kept wrecking all the time. And uh, Held had used Stingray skin for for years on the palms, but I, I'd never seen a pair of Held gloves. It's just I had this guy that just kept wrecking and wrecking and wrecking and wrecking, and and I I was just like, man, what can I put on the butt of the suit to keep the suit together? And uh, so we started with the Stingray skin on the suit. We're the first one in the world to put a pro- uh, exoskeleton protective uh, leather under on top of uh, hard high density foam in order to absorb energy. And then, uh, you know, quickly we came out with, with those gloves. No, we came out with the gloves first, the gloves and then the, and yeah, then that. the suit. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, you, you, it, it, it's one of those features that that stuff will slide 650 feet before your skin gets burned. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I, I, 
I, I haven't tested it out yet, but it looks durable, you know, just from yeah. what, what I see on the gloves that I have. Now, what's your opinion on, on a race glove? Would you rather on the palm to have a plastic bolt, or would you rather have a Stingray skin or something like that? Are you asking me or the other Chris? You. Me? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm new to this whole thing, right? So, um, hey, Can what, I put what, you... What, 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 like, I will say this is, well, let me even back up a second, right? Because, like I said, I started riding in 2016, so I got a couple okay. of years, you know, I got maybe 10,000 miles on the belt, right, getting there. Um, I have come through quite the evolution in gear, right, from, from like, where I started, because, right, because we did the basic rider course, and I remember, I think we did the course, it was summertime, it was July or August. I'm not a good hot weather person. And I remember like bitching because it's like, oh, you got to wear a long sleeve shirt and, you know, like this, that and the other. Right. The ba- basic bare, bare minimum requirements. They want you to protect yourself. But after I started riding, I really started. I don't know. I, I guess I'm an engineer by training. Right. So and I, I, I write computer software for a living. So I'm accustomed to thinking about things breaking and things going wrong. Right? <laughs> so the minute I start riding, I'm going, OK, so I'm on this vehicle that I'm not attached to and that things can go wrong and I can go flying in the air and it can go flying in the air. And it's like, if this, this, and this happened, what would happen to my body? Right. And it's not hard to imagine the things that can go wrong. And so I very quickly changed my opinion on gear and stuff like that. So I've probably got like 10 pairs of gloves now, even street gloves, right? Because of that evolution. I I do, when I look for gloves, I look for protection, like knuckle protection. More recently, I've started looking for palm protection, sliders and things of that sort. I was accustomed to like the plastic. You know, you go to Cycle Gear, that's my favorite place to shop, right? And that's yeah. the gloves that are there, that's what you see, right? It's some kind of polymer, plastic, whatever. And to me, that's better than nothing. But when I when I saw your booth and I saw the gloves and um you know, Al was going over with me the features, and I had actually I'd heard of Stingray as being a protective material, right? I'd never seen it applied to a glove, but I'm looking at it going, I don't know, that kind of makes sense. And I'm like feeling it going. I don't know. Yeah, that feels pretty tough, and I see that stuff sliding pretty good. It's some intuitively, it just made sense, you know. So, so with, without without it, knowing you know much about gear and gear creation and and the statistics and whatever, it just made sense to me. So Chris, well, watch this right here. If yeah. you're 19 foot in the air, yeah, in the high side, yeah, and your body's coming down, can I ask you which which option would you rather have? Would you rather have a a plastic bolt that's called a scaphoid protector? Or something that has hard, high-density foam that's going to absorb energy. I, I would like some energy absorption. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we've had, we've had hundreds and hundreds of reports on these gloves, and I've only had two people with serious hand damage over the years. And that's remarkable, man, because uh, I fix it. everybody in the industry's gloves. And, uh, you know, we, we get uh, – obviously, there's people that love short gloves. There's people that love long gloves, like longer gauntlets, and there's people that like uh, like gloves that are super sensitive in the hands. So yeah. what I've tried to do is, is try to take everything that I think makes sense and, <laughs> and cook a glove. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I but... love about Todd's gloves, you know, the heroic glove, and he only makes one glove. Uh, well, I mean, he has a street glove and he has a racing glove. It's the same so, glove. Yeah, so to me, he only makes one glove because <laughs> I want gauntlet glove, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah with yeah. the elbow. But uh, the glove itself, I, I mean, you pick it up and you're like, oh my god, I mean, it's a boxing glove. It really is. You can't yeah. believe how big it is. You can't believe how 
clunky it looks and you're like, wow. And then you put it on and it might as well be your favorite fair pair of, you know, soft suede driving your Porsche down the Autobahn gloves for the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, you know, but the, and then you look at your hand and here's all this armor, but you can't feel it. And that's very important because, you know, especially with a motorcycle, I mean, you know, you don't even use your, your feet on the pedals like you do in a car. I mean, your hands do 90 everything yeah. motorcycle and you have to have uh, really good dexterity with your hands. You have to have really good feel too. Um, I mean, one good example, uh, when you're learning how to brake, you know, at the very edge, of what the bike's capable of. Uh, brake pad engineers work really hard to make a brake pad that talks back to you through the lever. You see, you're squeezing the brake, and when you first get into the brake lever, say at 100 miles an hour, and the pads start to touch, you get this really high-frequency vibration in your fingers. Yep. And as you squeeze harder and harder on the lever, the, you're pinching the rotors harder, and the rotors are slowing down, and you can feel that frequency change. Well, if you squeeze too hard, you can lock up the brakes. The thing is, when the rotor stops turning against the brake pad, the frequency stops. All right, so there's that silence against your fingertips, and you realize Mm -hmm. you've overcooked it. Mm -hmm. If you're experienced enough, you can bleed a little bit of pressure off that brake lever and restore the rotation of the rotors and actually get the tire turning again before the motorcycle even realizes you screwed up. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's when you're racing or doing a really, you know, high group track day and you're really trying to go fast. But the point is you need to have the touch of a surgeon. Yeah. To to pick that up. Yeah. To get that feel. You know, yeah. While you're wearing boxing gloves. And, you know, Todd's gloves, like I said, I was his glove customer for six or seven years before I bought a suit. And, you know, his gloves allow that. And it's what I really love. I think they're the most protective thing out there. But you can still do your job. The gloves don't get in the way at all. Well, you yeah. know, uh, with that being said, you got to wear it right. And I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen a number of uh, glove reviews. And then, you know, I love all the different features of all the different brands. I, I, I think that's what makes going to the mall an amazing experience. You get to see what everybody's doing. Yeah. Everybody has a synergy. Everybody brings something innovative to the table. The interesting thing that uh, I see, and totally unheroic related, is that everybody mentally, if it has a buckle on it, we want to over tighten things. And I got a video on YouTube called "Loosen Up, Buddy," and it doesn't matter if it's a boot, if a du- or if your tennis, your sneakers, or your gl- gauntlet gloves. As soon as anybody. And then that doesn't, even if they watch the video, I watch them every time. And the guy will come up to me and said, man, I just watched your video and I learned how to properly put on your gloves. He puts it on, he still goes. It's just, we over tighten things. And I think it's mentally, you know what I mean? It's a sense of security. And if people can properly uh, loosen the product up, I like to be able to put fingers underneath straps, just like your watch. You know, this watch is never coming off my, my body. It's not flipping around. It's not turning around. But I can put two fingers underneath. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what you'll get is you'll get circulation. You'll get, you'll get room for mobility and function. But also you'll get water return. And as your heart is, you know, your hands start swelling up. Well, if you loosen something up, 
the water returns to your heart. That's that's interesting. It's a good point too, and it's funny you mentioned that. You know, I'd never seen the video or anything, but when when I tried your gloves on at the at the show, you know, and Al was helping me, he's like, "Okay, here you go." So I put the first glove on. I'm like, "Oh, look at that cool strap, <laughs> crank." He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hang on! You don't have to do that. You just do it." Like, I was like, oh, "Okay, I get it." <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. There's a thing about, oh, like this is a security thing so the glove doesn't come off. And I, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, if it's from snow skiing or something, you know, so- something I've done before. Where it's like, oh, you got to crank that thing down. But what you're saying totally makes sense. And particularly in, in regards to the whole thing of comfort on the motorcycle and the equipment fitting properly. Right. Because not having your attention on the gear and how it's fitting is a big part of performance. Well, you know where that came from? Oh, where, where my, uh, what do you call it, Chris? Your, your, uh, your O moment, I guess it was. Yeah, that's the O shit moment. <laughs> I, I was sitting on Killington Mountain snowboarding and I just kept busting my ass all day. And I just, and I fell the last time on my ass and, and this pro came up to me and he sat down, he sat down next to me. And he said, are you tired? <laughs> I said, I don't know about tired, but I'm getting ready to cry. <laughs> and uh, he said, I've watched you all the way down. He said, uh, he said, you're going to kill yourself. And I, and I was just like, well, dude, I don't know what to do. And uh, he, he, he said, I, I, was, I was at the point I was emotional because, you know, I felt like I was defeated. I knew I, I knew I had about 30 minutes more to get down or t- 20 minutes more to get down. And he came up to me and he said, can I just give you what your problem is? And I said, what and he said your bindings are too tight and i was like get out of here he said and he said no i said i washed you he said you're so stiff because your bindings are so tight he said you've got them tightened as as much as you can and i said that's not going to help anything he said do me a favor he said i want you to i want you to take your bindings completely loose so I, I sat there and uh, each one of them, you know, there's I think there was three on each binding and I took them completely loose. And he said, I, I only want you to do one click. per Man, I tell you what, I stood up and I was an instant pro. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I had never snowboarded so well. And and my buddies were just like, what did you do? And I was like, ah. and so immediately, as soon as the season came around for motorcycles, I applied that too, and that totally. I took that to Daytona, the first race of the year, and immediately, you know, I had pros come up coming up to me and saying, "Man, you know, that advice totally changed the way that I ride." Yeah, oh, that's wild. Yeah, I, uh, I I did a little snowboarding myself, um, so I can kind of appreciate what you were up against. It was. Uh, <sighs> It it was fun. I really enjoyed it while I did it. I eventually stopped. I went back to snow skiing just because I couldn't get any of my buddies to to snowboard. But um, <laughs> it's definitely a different crowd. Yeah, definitely a different crowd. But that, that that was a lot of fun. But yeah, that, that definitely if you didn't do it right, there was one the opportunity to hurt yourself, and and just it could be so tiring. You know, oh, it's like you'd just be exhausted by the end of the day. Sure. But um, the other thing too, I was just thinking because just talking about that kind of uh having the equipment dialed in right i don't know if you guys know or follow dave moss at all um i I had him on the show also and the thing one of the things that that the the reason i was following him is because of all his like you know bike setup stuff you know the videos he does like on suspension tuning because i was trying to you know want to learn more about that stuff but in talking to him the thing i really got out of it that i hadn't thought too much about 
even though as a computer programmer we talk about user interfaces and man-machine interface all the time, is the ergonomics of motorcycles. And his point that just being aware of how you're interfacing with the machine and subtle, and, and I'm sure this is a thing racers commonly understand, but for me, like as a fairly new rider, I just hadn't, you know, the, the light bulb hadn't gone off. But what a big difference that can make, you know, in, in terms of your comfort and how well you control the machine. And he was saying even things like, and again, never thought of it, you know, you, you go to the dealer, you buy your new motorcycle, you're all excited, you bring it home, and you don't notice that when they assembled it, he, he said almost every new motorcycle is like this. The handlebars are offset. Like yeah. they're, not, they're not centered in the, the headstock or whatever. And he even pointed out, as people get older, you know, so you correct that, you've got your handlebars centered. He's like, as people get older, their body changes, whatever. Sometimes you don't want them centered. Mm. <laughs> you know, so the, the light bulb kind of went off on that, like the importance of, you know, having that connection set properly and so like you're saying you know with the snowboarding stuff the equipment's too tight it's too loose it's just not going to perform right and then you're having difficulty and you're attributing it to you and feeling you're not able as opposed to just not having a proper setup you know yeah Yeah. hey i could speak to that um when i got my custom suit i got faster um Hmm. I, i had mentioned you know uh that winter, I had a bike that didn't need to be redone. And so that allowed me the funds to get the suit, the custom suit. Well, uh, you know, so I go out. Now, this is the same motorcycle I rode last year. Nothing has changed. I had completely rebuilt it for the championships, so it had one race on it. It was ready to go the next spring. All right, so the only thing that had changed now was the suit. And suddenly I was faster everywhere. And I mean, the reason was that I could really move around the motorcycle, you know, as big as I am. Previously, I'd go to hang off the motorcycle, and you know, like you see the MotoGP guys, they get down there, they've got their elbow on the ground, and their head is next to the gas tank. And then I would go and try to do that, and you know, my chest would be several inches off the top <laughs> of the gas tank, but that'd be as far as I could flex. I mean, at a certain point, the leathers would just stop, and my body wouldn't go any further, and you know, Todd, well, he could explain to you all the magic he does to make the suit so flexible, but uh, I just know it works. And the next thing you know, I'm doing stuff that's much closer to what you'll see watching the pros race mm-hmm. than I could ever do before. And, you know, we all understand that it's, it's, about, it's about using the leverage of your body and also about being able to change the center of gravity of the motorcycle. The more right. flexible you are, the better work you can do. And you know, so you will be faster. And the other thing is faster over the the course of a race or the course of a session, because if you're fighting your suit the whole time, you're yes. burning all kinds of energy you don't need to burn. Right. And, you know, you'll finish the race much stronger because you aren't as tired because you haven't been fighting your leathers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, so, Todd, it sounds like. Um, you kind of are constantly improving, revising your products, right? Because you're, you're able to get feedback, you know, from racers like Chris, right? Because you have that direct connection. You know, like you said, the guy that was crashing all the time, right? It's like, well, all right, this, whatever. I've got this, I've got a customer that's got this issue. What can I do? How can I, how can I adjust the situation or whatever? So it sounds like you kind of have a kind of a pretty tight feedback loop. I do, you know, but, but, uh, you know, like for instance, the last, two or three years you know i've got uh, especially the younger guys they just they constantly want you know 
if I'm wrong, I don't know. But, uh, you know, my, my elbow system and my and my hip system were on suit since 2009. And so I know that, uh, you know, I was pretty excited about this Alpine Star SP1 suit they had years ago that they had plastic parts on the outside. And I thought that was pretty badass. And so that kind of I didn't have the funding in order to do the injection molding. And so uh, and that's why I went to using leather in order to make outstanding parts in order to protect the exoskeleton of the suit and to absorb energy uh, on the on the furthest part away from from the the suit itself. And so uh, and that's the reason why I started doing that. The biggest thing is. You know, it's funny is there's a lot of brands now they're doing that and they're just making a copy of it. But with that being said, you know, the I've got in the last two years, everybody wants that plastic sliders and I, I've got access to it. I mean, they're made in China and I've got four options. What's funny is I or it's not funny. I guess it's not funny. I don't want to put them on the kid's suit. And the reason is because if, you know, kids are trying to emulate what the MotoGP guys are doing. But the whole deal is, is that's why they're, they're wrecking. And I see it all, all the time. And, and that's the reason why I don't put that stuff on my suits. And I can. It's just a matter of stitching it on. It's another option. But it's just, you know, I I finally had a, a one of my racers, a, a kid came to me, a young man came to me the other day. And he said, you know, I got kind of upset with you last year because you wouldn't put an elbow, a plastic elbow slider on my on my suit. And he said, you know, you told me no because you didn't want me dragging my elbow. And he said, I was upset about that. But I finally started realizing why. And I start and I'm not concentrating on that. And I'm getting faster. This kid came back from Jennings uh, a couple weeks ago and he he had gained, I think it was three seconds a lap on on what he was running the AMA uh, Moto America last year. That's a lot. And I'm not saying it's it's because of his elbow sliders. I mean, it's a lot of things. But uh, you know, I think I think there's a lot of gimmicks that uh, you know that we. But I try to make you know as far as evolving the suit, I'm trying to do things that enhance the rider's fit, function, and focus. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh you know there there's a you know all the way from the you know we were we were doing well we're we're the first brand outside of Italy. Uh, doing the printed suits and then i kind of rolled back because you know we invested in a fifteen thousand dollar printer and and in in 2012 and and uh the biggest thing is i had to fix that stuff when the rider riders wrecked and so the more elaborate the suit looked the more work it is for me and so uh i tried to roll it back and try to see you know the some of the things that i really appreciate advancing for and a lot of people was like, oh, you know, Vance has got a heavy suit. Oh, it's archaic. A lot of da da da. You know, it crashes really well, but you know, it looks old. Well, I always appreciate. I always, always go to Matt at Vance and say, dude, you got some, you got some suits that you should really have in the museum because of the amount of leather work that those guys put into it. You know, with their uh, with their water jet and whatnot. I mean, they can do some elaborate stuff that I've always appreciated. You know, whether I'm at Daytona or the AMA race or up a Loudon and, and, uh, I can appreciate whatever brand you put in front, in front of me. Sure. But, uh, as far as evolution, you know, it's, uh, 
I'm kind of limited, you know, to what I can do, I guess, because of, uh, I guess, I, I, I guess the, uh, myself, but, uh, it is nice having outstanding people that can, that can help give you advice like Al Gilbo, Alex Gilbo, uh, Joe LaMondry, you know, you know, back Santiago Villa used to give me stuff all the time, uh, Jason DeSalvo back in the day, you know, 2010 when he was wearing my stuff on World Superbike. Chris Onweiler, uh, you know, the list, you know, Chris was talking about earlier about, uh, you know, gaining uh, amount of lap time. I had a guy at the beginning of last year called me up and said, dude, I just uh, set the lap record and it was my first t- time on the bike. And, and I was like, wow, that's great. Uh, how, how many sessions, sessions did you do? He said, that was first session, man. And the guy ended up uh, the guy ended up setting the lap record twice more that day, and uh, he said, "Dude, I put this suit on," and he said, "I've never been so comfortable in a suit." And he said, "This I've never wrote, ridden so fast," and wow. uh, that, that's that's satisfying. Yeah, oh for sure, that's awesome. But again, the comfort thing, right? It's like not comfort. not not having to think about what's on, and you know, just focusing on getting the job done. So that's that's awesome. It's um, being able to move. Yeah. Yeah, you met, you mentioned a little bit before also like the leather printing, right? So I, I I guess what that's a process where you can actually ink like print directly onto the leather like you would with a you know paper printer, kind of thing. Well, you, you know what's cut, what, what's funny is is uh, when I went to my factory originally, at that time it was two thousand and nine, and I went to my factory and I said, hey, I, I want you to be able to do this, and there's like we can't do that. And I was just like, come on, you can do that. You know, like I, 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 I saw it in World Superbike. It's, it's got to be able to be done. Well, at that time, there was only about six riders in the world that they were doing printed suits for. And, uh, and so I went to New York City, you know, Levittown. I went to, you know, legendary branded leather in uh, New York City. And I said, I, I need to print a leather. He said, I can't do it. And, and I was like, come on. And so I went to, uh, you know, we have another uh, leather print, printing place here in, in Queens. And I said, hey, we've got a, you know, I, I want to print leather suits. And there's like, uh, you can't do it. We do synthetic stuff and, and it holds. So I went back to, to, to Pakistan and uh, we, I can't remember how many times we tested, but we finally got it to work. And then all of a sudden it just started going all over the industry. And, uh, but it, it took, it took a lot of time, you know. And, uh, but for printing leather, you know, it's funny is that factory that I originally went to, they just got a leather printer, uh, uh, a a month and a half ago. Yeah. So, but now, so with what you were saying before, like it's problematic, right? If if people are crashing in printed leathers, it's hard, it's hard to repair, right? Because you basically got to like reprint whole panels, I guess, or how do you? Like yeah, you, you know, you know, it really the leather has to be, you know, that before the cut and so uh, what what we do is we uh, at, at our factory right now, we've got a uh, we've got a formula we've been using year for, for for years that that that's really rich, beautiful and whatnot. The biggest thing is the leather has to be flat. And so it, it, it's actually a form of screen printing here in my shop. I digitally print to mm-hmm. leather uh, and that's pretty exciting too, but uh, I do that for all the customization aftermarket. Um, so, so it's, uh, kind of, 
it's an expensive printer. That's why I don't really, sure. you know, have that overseas. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Interesting technology and stuff, you know, what goes into all this. Yeah, IT is a pretty exciting thing. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Now, is that is that like a printer for leather, like it's designed for that, or is it something you've adapted? Or? It's something we adapted. You know, I, I worked with, in 2013, this major printing company, um, Okidata, and uh, they actually, you know, you go to a print show, you go to an IT show, you go to a tire show or whatever you're doing, water show, uh, and, uh, you know, everybody has their booth. It's usually pretty standard everything has a look and feel well so this company was just like hey you build us three race suits and uh it just so happened that the guy that owned, that was the general or the the, the president of the company uh, did track days okay cool and so uh and he wanted he wanted to uh, i pitched him the idea well instead of having print work in your booth let's figure out how how to print on leather and so, dude, I went through I don't know how many skins, and, and a, a, a cow skin is the size of a car. And uh, I probably went through in 2013 at least two full skins in order to get leather or printing to stick to leather. Right. That's but a you, lot of work. Yeah, but it sounds like you figured it out. Pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool now is that a thing where you just you just print to the leather and it's permanent or do you have to do some kind of like heat process or yeah so so this process here is a heat press and uh and then the the printer we have now is a flat br- flat bed uh, uv yeah. pr- printer that sucks to the the the, the table okay and yep. and we're we're actually uh we're actually uh, printing protection on top of the print and so it's a it's a hundred hundred and thirty thousand dollar printer. Sure, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then people want to know how come you charge that for a suit? <laughs> yeah, and you know that's like really that's that's you know it's uh whether it was here you know I grew up in Indiana but whether you're here or there or whatnot you know just business insurance is expensive. We go to you know on a general year we'll do over. Well, in the past, we used to do over a hundred events a year, and uh, you know now we're 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 about forty events a year. It's still a lot, man. It's a lot of wear and tear on the trucks, a lot of fuel. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, there's a lot of cost to, to to being in the game. Absolutely. So you must be on the road a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we just got off of uh, we did all the the IMS tour. We were lucky yeah. to have. Chris and Al Gilbo is uh, as reps at several of our key shows. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But hey, I, I mean, it's good. It gets you out there. I mean, you know, like I said, that's that's how I found you was IMS. So we saw you at the at the IMS show in New York, New York right? New York. Yep. New York City. Yeah. Which I've been basically going every year since I got into bikes. So it's just a good opportunity, just you know, see what the heck is going on in the industry and sit on some motorcycles and decide what I'm buying next and you know whatnot. Well, Chris, n- not not to be le- leading the, the question or anything, but what did you think about the New York motor- Motorcycle Show? Did you enjoy, enjoy it? Actually, if you listen to my last episode, you'll hear all about it. Cause I, I got to do that. Interestingly enough, I finally got around, because what was that? December 7th was when, when we went that weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, so just in a nutshell to summarize. So I think it's the third Start a fourth one I've been to. I enjoyed it. I like going every year. Um, compared to the first year I went, 
you know, it feels a little smaller, but I think similar to last year, one thing that was noticeable for me is the fact that Indian, the company was not there. You know, Harley was there. You know, you had all the big names, Japanese names and whatever. Um, actually, come, I think BMW was not there, right? I don't think BMW had a booth. Um, not New York. Yeah, so it you know you you notice stuff like that, like there's some manufacturers missing. You know, Indian was not there, but they had the local dealer. You know, was there, um, so so there was something going on. But um, I thought it was great. I got to meet the people from Bon Armor. They were there checking out because maybe they're going to exhibit. You know, in coming years, um, it's just good for me. You know, I love to just be able to check out the motorcycles. Like I said, sit on stuff. Um, you know, find guys like you. You know, heroic. You know, see all the different equipment and things and yeah so i i like it i mean um you know i, I hear people say different things it's like oh ims it's not what it used to be blah 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 maybe that's true but i i, I think it's still very helpful I, I love it man yeah you know and and i've never i have i have not like been to aim like aim expo i'd love to go sometime i'd love to go to some of the european ones like eichma and whatever but um it, this is very that's the cool thing you know about living you know a 45 minute train ride from new york city right you're even yeah. closer so it, it, it's cool to be able to you know experience something like that not have to go too far out of the way fly across the country or whatever so we get jazzed about it man i tell you what i was you know, I, I love Chris Onweiler. I love the Gilbos. And uh, and it's just exciting to be able to have a short. You know, the biggest thing for me is being able to 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 represent our product. And I, I, I know that sounds that sounds goofy to even say, but it's emotional for me at times to be able to see people that really love this stuff. Right. Sure. And yeah. and I don't get that if I miss it. I was heartbroken that we missed Cleveland. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I was, I, it broke my heart, man, because, because I know there, there was people that there was at least probably 30 people that emailed us and, and I don't know how many people call, called us, but they were just like, man, we saw you there last year. We were, we, we want to talk to you this year. And it's just, man, I tell you what, it's, it's exciting as far as a brand. I don't know if you ever heard, heard from the guy from Alpine Star, but we really enjoy going to these shows, meeting the customers and be able to talk to each, each person. What whether they want to talk about the product or not, you know? Right, sure, absolutely. I I think no, that that's awesome. And you know, as as a consumer of products, I think that's really cool. And like I said, it goes back to that, you know, that small that small company benefit feeling or whatever, you know. Yeah. And and you know, obviously, you know, you you can you can be into other brands and you can have your favorite salesman or retail shop or whatever, but it's not it's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. You know, how often do you get to talk to the guy that's designing the products and knows all the ins and outs? And I mean, this, honestly, there's something cool about that, you know, you know, when, when, when you're in a product. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, are, you, are you guys going to Daytona? No, I'm not going. Uh, I'm, t- I'm still building a bike for this year. Mm. When, when is your next race, Chris? Um, probably in, uh, in May, I'm thinking it'd be the season opener in Chicago. Oh, cool. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out what Moto America races I'm going to hit this year. I, um, I, I love Daytona. You know, we, I went down and personally, uh, you know, uh, did support from probably 2009 to 2009 to 2014, 2015, but but it's just you know uh, I think this this uh, this year is the first year we're going to go down and try to start the season with Austin GP mm-hmm. uh, at uh, in in uh, Texas 
Yeah. And so uh, we just bought this huge marketing trailer, and I, I sent Chris some pictures the other day. <laughs> and uh, so, and uh, we're we're getting a new truck, and so uh, trying to spend some big money wisely over here. But I think we want to, you know, start the season with the GP. So, gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I went to uh, Coda last year. That was awesome. I love. Did it. you? Ah, oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. And and getting a chance to see because I'd never seen MotoGP live, so that that was really cool. And you know, like I said, I love Moto America, so that was good. I I don't know if I'm going to swing it this year. I would love to go, but I want to try to hit some tracks I haven't been to. I want to go to Road Atlanta, Road America. I want to go to Indy. I think that's going to be really cool. You know, I've seen Formula One there, so it's going to be really cool to see Moto America running there. I'll do Jersey, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to head up to, to ride with Chris up there, man. I tell you, this guy. You know, Sport Bike Track Time uh, usually does an event at Road America, I believe, on the Monday, Tuesday after Moto America is there. Oh, so really? Okay. You, go down, you can spectate, and, you know, on Monday morning, you can go out and ride on all that sticky rubber that the Road America. Ah, boy, that'd nice. be sick. There you go. There you go. All right. Oh, I'll, I'll keep that cool. in mind. When uh, what which which month is that race? Do you know? June. 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 Oh, okay. So yeah, actually, I'm doing uh, California Superbike School in May, so I'll be fresh off that. So that should be interesting. That would be cool. You know, another thing is, I'd love to uh, at some point hook you up with uh, Richard Harris, who's the guy who owns uh, Sport Bike Track Time. Yeah, and he sure. would be a very in- interesting interview for you as well. He has a lot to say about. Uh, well, the track day industry in general and, you know, his company as well. Mm-hmm. Not that'd be awesome. Love to. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely set that we, up. Maybe we can hook something up like that. And, yeah. and it would, it would be awesome to be able to ride with you at road America. That's one of my favorite tracks. And, uh, that would I'd, be cool. I'd be more than happy to give you a tour of that place. Awesome, awesome. All right, I definitely will keep that in mind. See if I could uh, make make a very long weekend out of it. Taking <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my opportunity with Chris because he he offered me a ride on his bike and 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 I was just like, oh, it's gonna pour down rain the next day. And he's like, come on, man, I should have done it. Mm, yeah. Where where was that? Also at Road America. Yeah. Road America. yeah. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Cool. Cool. All right, guys. Um, so listen, this has been really awesome. Thanks for, for thanks for joining me. Before uh, before we wind it down, uh, Chris, uh, any anything you want to kind of add in, or you want to kind of give how people can contact you, find you on the interwebs and whatnot? Well, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook as Chris Onweiler, and uh, if you find me there, I mean, I'm involved in so many different Facebook pages, and they all have to do with track days and motorcycles. So nice. that would nice. be a good way to get a hold of me. And then, uh, well, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of track days. You know, uh, I, I feel like sport bikes in particular, I mean, they are extremely high-performance vehicles, and they're no fun to ride slow. No. And yeah. so, you know, you really want to ride them the way they were built to be ridden. And you can't do that on public roads. You're putting yourself and everyone else at too much risk. Yeah. So you really need to go to a track day and track days are available everywhere. People say, Oh, I can't afford that. And I'm like, well, you know, when was the last time you checked into how much felony speeding costs? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Right. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, in fact, it's interesting that, uh, a very high percentage of the people who, I mean, I would say, man, three, 4% of the people that we have at track days 
are law enforcement, judges, people like yeah. that. Because wow. these are the people who absolutely cannot get caught on a big ticket. You know, I mean, yeah. don't get out of 200 mile an hour tickets. Right. Okay. They're like, are you kidding? You of all people should have known better. And the next thing you know, they're in jail, they're losing their job, so on and so forth. So, you know, officers who have the need to go fast on a motorcycle, they ride at track days. They mm-hmm. all do. And, you know, more than your average amount of customers, more than your average amount of coaches at track days, law enforcement. So, I mean, you know, they of all people know that's the safe place to do it. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Cool. Cool. And then, uh, like I said, I'll, uh, I'll put links in the show notes to, to your book and to the, the, the track, the track riding organization and whatnot. So that'd be cool. Hey, Chris, really quick. Yeah. Can I I pitch about, uh, Kevlar armored hoodies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, no, that's totally fine. In fact, if you want to, yeah, like any, anything else you want to say about your products, I did, I was going to ask you about the street riding stuff that you have. Cause you know, a lot, a lot of my listeners, they're race fans and they race, but a lot of them are just street riders. So yeah, yeah too. The, the 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 whole idea of those those Kevlar armored hoodies, I'll be short, is that I I was going to these races and then and also motorcycle shops, and nobody wanted to buy anything. And I understand that you don't want to have race suits or race gloves hanging in your shop. You don't you don't you don't even want to have extra jackets that aren't on your your uh, floor plan, other than Alpine Star or what or Icon. Yeah, and so. Uh, I, I went out and interviewed 180, I think it was 184 people. And uh, those people, I asked them a whole, I think it was 25 questions. And of those questions, I came I, I, I came up with a black Kevlar armored hoodie in 2000, I think that was 2012, for 2013. And uh, the biggest thing is, you know, with me is I wanted to be able to Put a product on any type of motorcycle rider, whether you're riding a chopper, whether you're riding a a, a, a hair scramble, whether you're you're on a GS going across Alaska, or or you're riding a S one thousand double R to Times Square. I want you know the I circled the list on all the different things that uh, that that I can do in order to keep somebody safe, and I made the sleeves two inches longer. And so, you know, if you look at all the features, you know, before we leave, I always talk about the race suits and the gloves, but my Kevlar armored hoodie is the most exciting thing that I I would love any one of your customers to think about. Because whether you're a track day guy or whatnot, you're getting on the street every once in a while. Man, I tell you, that probably might change your life. Save your life. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's interesting because my girlfriend Gina, she's got it. It's not heroic. We didn't we didn't know that you had the product, but um, she's got an armored like a Kevlar kind of hoodie that she loves. And uh, oh, you know, we cool. just we went out to San Diego recently. Uh, you know, flew by plane or whatever, and we thought it didn't work out, but we thought maybe we'd rent bikes or something. So she just packed that in a bag. Ah, and it didn't, cool. didn't take a lot of space. So I, I will mention to her heroic, and uh, maybe I, I will come out and visit you one of these days. And We'd love uh, maybe, to, yeah. maybe she'll come join me. I know she loves to see all this kind of stuff. So that'd be that'd be a ton of fun. I tell you, if you come over to the shop, I'll teach you how to run one of the sewing machines. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Learn how to fix my own leather gloves. There you go. <laughs> That'd be cool. You know, those, yeah. uh, those Kevlar hoodies, uh, the women really seem to like them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am a huge fan of mo- women riding their own motorcycles, but yeah. I think the majority of women who are in the sport are riding behind their boyfriend. Yeah. And 
And, you know, so the boyfriend has got some kind of a macho leather jacket to wear. She has nothing. Girlfriend gets on in, you tank know, top, the yeah. Part thing that she would normally wear. Right. And like, oh my God. Well, you know, when I joined Todd at the motorcycle show, uh, you know, boy, I was there to sell racers and track day guys suits and racing gloves. You know, and that was my whole focus. But as I mean, man, we I hadn't been there but a couple of hours and I started to realize that I could really put street riders into these hoodies. Yep. And you know, I mean, for me, it's, I'm in horror. I ride around, I drive a hundred miles a day just to get back and forth to my job. And I see people out on the road and they're wearing nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, if you fall off that motorcycle, you're finished. Yeah. You know, I, it, it made me feel good every time I sold one of the Kevlar hoodies because I felt like, okay, there's someone who potentially I've saved their life, especially because the girls put them on and I mean, they still look hot. And you know, <laughs> but they've got body armor on now, and they've yeah. they got a Kevlar sheath for their upper body, and you know, but they still look cute. And you know, a, a girl, if she doesn't look cute, she's just not going to wear it. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Todd's really struck an awesome balance there. Um, you know, between something that's fashionable enough that people will be proud to wear it, won't be stupid wearing it, and at the same time, you know, it'll give them some protection. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome, awesome product. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll find the link on your website, Todd. I'll put that I'll put that in the show notes. Also, I'm sure people will want to check it out. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, any any last words you have, Todd, or uh, you want to tell people the best way to find you? Man, I, I'm in New Hyde Park, and uh, we're 20 minutes. You know, if you're coming in from New York, we're uh, right before you get to the Cross Island. Before you get to the Cross Island, going to towards the city. Yep. But the beautiful thing is, if you're lis- listening from Iceland, uh, we're 20 minutes from JFK. We're 25 minutes from from LaGuardia, and so I seriously, we've had I don't know how many people come in from Iceland. Uh, we got guys flying in from Venezuela, and we got the best Italian restaurant right across the street. Ah, right, there you go. <laughs> So you can just fly in, go to Umberto's. You probably heard of sure, yeah, yeah. Umberto's. Yep. Yeah. They're right across the street, and so uh, and then be in bed in that that evening. But uh, you know, so uh, we're easy to get to, and uh, we're definitely a small business. So yeah, awesome, 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 cool. And then uh, I guess your let's see, your website is just heroicracing dot com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. That's great. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. All right. Awesome. Thanks, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want, I'm just going to shut down the recording. If you hang tight, we'll just kind of wind it down a little bit. Chris, Chris, thanks, guys. All right. Good night, guys. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thupper Club, where I'll list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs, where I'll include your photo and biography, as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 